Hi, I'm Kayla. And I'm Max. And this is Doesn't Anybody Ever Get It Right? A podcast where we analyze Broadway flops and forgotten gems, and then we go on a real deep, deep dive for about <laughs> two weeks, and we lose our minds listening to only one show over and over and over again, and we tear it apart and hopefully put it back together in something that's better than the original. This week, we are doing Lysistrata Jones, which is not a guest recommendation this time. Our special guest this week is our very own Kayla. Hi. Yeah, so we decided every season that because we're obsessed with ourselves and our own judgment, Max and I are each going to have an episode where we choose the show. And so for my episode this season, I want to talk about Lysistrata Jones because I'm obsessed with her. Kayla, please tell us why you're so obsessed with Lysistrata Jones and why it is your inaugural solo episode. Yeah, so Lysistrata Jones was really the first flop that I fell head over heels for. Get it? Because that's, I think that flop too. Whatever. Um, <laughs> I directed Lysistrata Jones my sophomore year of college for our student musical theater group. I absolutely fell in love with that show and directing Lysistrata Jones and the freedom I felt with working with material that one, wasn't well-known and two, wasn't well-received even by those who did know it made me never want to work on a popular piece ever again. It started my flop obsession and in a weird way led us to where we are today. For those of you who are listening who have never heard of this show like I hadn't before I met Kayla, we're going to give you our little history portion, synopsis, background, and some reviews. Okay, so the synopsis. The Athens University basketball team hasn't won a game in 30 years, but when a spunky transfer student named Lysistrata Jones dares the squad's fed-up girlfriends to stop giving it up to their boyfriends until they win a game, the team's legendary losing streak could finally come to an end. That's courtesy of Concord Theatrical. So if you study theater in college, you probably recognize the name Lysistrata. It is in fact based on the Aristophanes' old comedy. It was written in the middle of the Second Peloponnesian War and first performed in 400. 11 BCE, probably at the famed Dionysia Playwriting Festival in ancient Greece. It is one of the only full surviving old comedy plays. So there's fragments of plays by other playwrights from the genre, but the only, I think there's maybe six surviving old comedy plays were all written by Aristophanes. And old comedies follow a pretty strict six-part structure. So first is the introduction of characters and basic plot. Chorus's first song, introduction of conflict, a debate between the two sides, a direct address from the chorus to the audience, typically mocking the audience, some farcical sketches, and a concluding wedding or other celebration. And fun fact, Lysistrata Jones itself loosely follows this structure. If you've studied the Greek, it only makes this delightful little musical more enjoyable, in my opinion. And Lysistrata was considered an early feminist work by some, but that does not appear to be the intention. It was written as a critique of the Peloponnesian War, it seems like Aristophanes was more saying, this war is so stupid that even women know it's stupid. Big yikes. And yet some people in the 21st century decided that this would make a great musical. So those two would be Douglas Carter Bean, who wrote the book, and his husband, Louis Flynn, who wrote the music and lyrics. This show originally premiered in Dallas in January of 2010 under the name Give It Up horrible name. So glad they changed that. It moved from Dallas to its off-Broadway tryout at the Judson Gymnasium in Greenwich Village in May and June of 2011. It was produced by the Transport Group. 
The show began previews on Broadway at the Walter Kerr Theater on November 12, 2011, and officially opened on December 14, 2011. It was directed and choreographed by Dan Connecticus, featuring Patty Mirren in her first ever leading role. It closed not long after it opened on January 8, 2012, after 34 previews and only 30 regular performances. You know when there's more previews than performances, it's not a cute look. It was strange because off-Broadway, critics raved. And I think Mark Kennedy with the Associated Press summed it up really well. He said, and it was stumbled upon at Judson Memorial Church. There was a surprising jolt. The quality was really high in such an unusual place. But the show is now wilting under the white lights of Broadway and the air is seeping out of the ball. Because yeah, walking into a gym in a church in Greenwich Village and seeing this really put together musical would be a really incredible experience. But if the show didn't experience growth with the growing stage, then it would be easy for it to get washed out. The New York Times, though, loved it, both downtown and uptown. So that was pretty wild that the New York Times, who usually kind of sets a musical up for success or failure, didn't have an effect on this one. They called Lysistrata Jones pure helium. Scott Brown from Vulture said, the show is so post-feminist, it's pre-feminist, and so happily asinine about sex, about race, about politics, about everything, that there's no danger of meaning seeping in. The surface of this show is as smooth as its wrinkle-free brain. One, some of the reviews that I thought were really interesting were two reviews by the exact same guy for The Hollywood Reporter. In the very first one that he reviewed the show in the gymnasium, he loved the show. I think gave it like an 8 or a 9 out of 10. And then when it transferred to Broadway, he dropped it to a 5. Same guy, same show, just clearly the charm was gone. I mean, the show just does not... Th wow, surprise. Kayla and Max think that this show should not be put on a, a our proscenium theater. <laughs> what else is new? But it's particularly important for this show. When I directed it, we had rowdy audiences and we encouraged it and we had everyone real close together and not just because we were in a tiny college black box but on poipus yeah so the show overall reviews were kind of mediocre but it still sold poorly and it was really expensive if people were gonna go if tourists specifically were gonna go see a cheerleading musical that season it was gonna be bring it on because that was based on something they'd heard of so closed fast but you know it's had some degree of second life in colleges and community theaters there was even a production back in New York, just a, a borough way over in Queens <laughs> a few years ago. It was quite good. I, I was able to see that one. Oh, that's cool. So Max and I are working towards a collective vision, but I feel like we're coming in with pretty different perspectives because I worked with the show a lot and had to keep it the way it was because laws. And so I've learned to love the show in its current format. I still have a lot I'm going to change, but I feel like Max is going to have a more objective view because he hasn't had to make the show as is work for him. That That's true. When I first started listening to this show for this podcast, I listened to just the music about three times over and every time of the three times I was like this is garbage why am I listening to this and but then it's an earworm isn't podcast. it and then I actually just took the time to sit with the script in front of me on my computer and read the script and then when the songs came in put the songs up and I was like okay 
I can see the charm of this show. I can see how it can be fun and entertaining. But it's just the album. I was like, oh, God. Bangers. <laughs> Every track is a banger. Okay. But I can't believe that the libretto made you enjoy the show more because the tone of the show, let's talk about it. The libretto, to me, it's almost unreadable. Did you see the SNL sketch Gen Z Hospital? I have not. That sketch is, it's bad. We all, the internet had a field day with it, yada, yada. But like, to an extent, those are things that Gen Z people do say on TikTok and stuff. No one has ever said any of the things that are said in the script. Like, not even once has someone said IBM instant boner material or called a laptop a power book. It's real tragic. Oh yeah, the power book was a rough one. There's so many rough ones. Uh, isn't it? For my portion of tone, you, you said it, you know, is completely unaware of the real world. For me, it drives me freaking nuts because it's based on a truly raunchy Greek comedy. Like this one was really raunchy. They masturbate with rocks. It's clearly supposed to be a comedy, albeit much, much less raunchy than its inspiration. However, it is filled with illusion to Greek tragedy. The show starts with the sort of stereotypical modern interpretation of what Greek drama slash tragedy looked like. And then it just throughout the show gives you this feeling of dramatic Greece instead of truly ridiculous comedy that would come from an actual Greek comedy. So why don't we fully lean into the real Greek comedy and get absolutely ridiculous with this show? I'm talking foot-long tube sock penises on these on these men as the women are doing their, like, um, what is that one song? Oh, the hoop is open, the net is hot. Exactly. It'd be perfect for that song. I definitely that, love a visible like, erection. I mean, that's just, it's it's in the vein of the original show, and it get us closer to where this show actually wants to be instead of where it is now. Additionally, the play feels almost like a Family Guy episode to me. It's got a million different stories happening. Of course, there's the one big story, but it's got a million different stories happening. And it feels like once we get to about the hour and 40 minute mark, the playwrights go, oh, crap, this show has to end real soon. We got to tie everything up real fast now. We got to... All the stories have to come together in six seconds. And that's what it feels like. It feels like the play goes from a hundred to nothing. I so agree. There are a couple of storylines that I want to cut, which is unfortunate because one of them contains a really good moment of comedy, but it's also problematic. And we'll talk about it later. We'll just move right into our personal concepts for this show, which I guess kind of blends with tone when it comes to mine. This show does not work as a theatrical spectacle. It works when it's scrappy, a shoestring budget, just people having a fun time the audience having a fun time it needs that element in order to work the audience for this show i do not believe to be the traditional dress up in a suit and tie theater goer that you would get on broadway it's the kind of people who wouldn't understand or don't want to see anything that's highbrow the second that you put this in a big theater like Broadway or any sort of touring theater, you lose that. You scare those people away. This show is meant for everybody who doesn't think that they're going to like a musical. This show is meant for them, in my opinion. Yeah, I want to give the audience a lot of agency with a show like this. 
If any show is going to be rowdy and interactive and fun, it should be this show. I would love to give out like Rocky Horror style goodie bags with like noisemakers and like Athens University Spartans signs or like fuck you Athens University Spartans signs. Like absurd shit. I want that sense of audience agency to tie into the set too. I love the idea of something that's in the round, but also the chairs swivel. So basically you have the middle space and then you have the outskirt space. So something might be happening in the outskirt space and people have to like turn their chairs around. And then at any given moment, like people can change their own perspective of the show because they can kind of just swivel their chair. Like at a bowling alley, how it's like stuck down, but you can swivel. I want that. Yeah. I think it'd be really interesting and neat. I like the idea of being able to kind of control your perspective and also open up some some non-traditional stage spaces. I keep jumping back and forth between putting this in, in a traverse or alley style. I, I love the idea of doing it in a sort of agency in the round where the audience can choose exactly what they want to engage with. This is the first one where I haven't had a clear set in my head for this production. The only clear set thing is the space that I want, how I want to utilize it, and then I want to have on all four walls a big electronic scoreboard because obviously for the basketball games and stuff but then I also think it could be great for comedic moments like if Lysistrata wins an article it could be like LJ1 Mick Zero and you can also just program it to say different things it can say like Motor Lodge and that kind of thing and so that could be used but I do think that this show is so absurd that I love the idea of it existing in kind of this dream space where it's not hyper realistic and so we can transform the space really easily. You know, come to think of it, I I really think the feeling is that when you're at like a basketball game, um, like a professional basketball game where people are coming and going, there are very exciting moments, but you're not always necessarily engaged with the with the game. I really like the the idea of just going and getting your popcorn and then getting pissed off and throwing it. Like, <laughs> For me, though, I don't want anyone to want to tune out of this show at any second. I want it to be like every basketball game, like big dance number is like the hypest part of the basketball game. And then you follow your favorite players home and have this intimate look at their lives. You know, because I really think it okay. should be character driven. Surprise, Kayla wants to make it character driven. She's obsessed with character development because she doesn't know how to write plot. And that's not her fault. I have to say I had a really hard time with this one because I love drama and I love tragedy. I would rather see a drama or a tragedy any day over a comedy. There's literally only one theatrical comedy that I've seen in my life where I was like, ah, yes, that is on par with the amount of entertainment I receive from a drama or a tragedy. You can't just say what that is and then not say the name of the comedy. Which was the play that goes wrong. That was a show that I truly was like amazed how good comedy could be when I saw that. All of this to say, I really had to reconfigure the way that I look at shows and not be like, well, this doesn't really serve this and this doesn't serve that because it's a comedy. Sometimes it doesn't have to serve something just has to make you laugh. I disagree completely. I think that comedy comes from truth, that the structure is essentially the same. You just put them in situations that make you laugh instead of make you cry. And see, this is what I mean by I have to completely reevaluate the way that I look at things because I think of comedy as lowbrow garbage that and is not entertaining. And I am a comedy queen. Hopefully we'll fix this one. Uh, I did already. <laughs> Bite me. Do you want to move on to characters? Let's move on to characters. 
So in this show, we have a narrator, which first of all, most of the time, a narrator is employed because the playwright was not good enough to actually write a story that could just move on its own. That's kind of how the narrator is employed in this show. Hatira is not needed. In Greek comedy and in the Greek plays in general, there is a narrator built into the structure. It's called the Greek chorus. In this show, we already have a Greek chorus, which in the comedic sense was two separate groups led by leaders, which was, of course, which in this show is, of course, Lysistrata and Mick. And those two groups tell the story sometimes very literally to the audience. And we can use that in this. Let's please employ that. I am entirely cutting um, Hatira as the narrator for this show because it's not needed, especially when you have a show that pretends to be or based off of a Greek comedy, you can use that structure. Just use it. Yeah, the first time you said that to me, I was shook and did not agree. And then I went back to the opening number and reimagined it in the, the two-part chorus structure. And I was like, oh, that works fine. Never mind, it's fine. And I cut all of Hatira's little weird raps anyway. And so I effectively ended up cutting Hatira without <laughs> intending to cut Hatira. Love her as the mistress. I do want that role performed in drag. I think it'll be really lovely. I just think that Hatira is too sexy for gender norms. I just think it's really interesting on sex and sexuality and also just the fact that a lot of trans people are forced into survival sex work. It's just like a high percentage of survival sex work is done by trans people. And I'm not saying that Hatira has to be a trans person. I think it would be cool if she was. But like she could be a bio queen. She could be a, a typical drag queen of, of a gay man. It could be some, it could be anything. I just want drag involved. I think it would really add some interesting layers to just one, the aesthetic, love and aesthetic and play into the campy vibes of the show and also add in some really interesting questions and nuance about gender and sexuality which the show lacks <laughs> i want to riff on on that for a second because mick has this strange thing with hatira where he's basically begging her to affirm whether or not he's attractive obviously you would think that he would know he's attractive so i think it'd be really interesting if if you almost kept the script entirely intact and just had it where he's begging this drag queen about whether or not he's attractive. He doesn't even realize that she, the drag queen individual, is in fact a, a man if you choose to do it as that. Not I don't as think it even matters. I, I think that he just is so desperate for outside affirmation. He's totally changed his personality. He's given up his love of poetry to be this basketball guy because he thinks that's what people want. But in the real world, he feels like you can't just ask people how they perceive you. And so he's like, oh, well, this person that I'm paying to sleep with me, this is the kind of taboo where asking about the perception of myself becomes not taboo in, in the presence of this bigger thing. Okay. Kinesius. Oh, Kinesius. I understand cringe comedy and I understand wanting to make people feel uncomfortable. And I think it would be funny if it just made white people feel uncomfortable. But this is a character that also doesn't just make white people uncomfortable. Kinesius is a white in the Broadway Jewish character who employs a black scent and uses a lot of AAVE calls himself a gangster and is just very That's cringy. My slave name. Yes, calls <laughs> calls Todd his slave name and is dating this educated gorgeous black woman and I'm like no one would ever put up with this. I totally get that and completely agree. He's he's cringe on a level yeah. that's not appropriate. Yeah, and that again is a storyline that I don't think really adds a lot. 
Ooh, I next. totally agree with your next point. It drives me nuts. Lysistrata does not need to be stupid. Lampedo is stupid. Let Lampedo be stupid. They were just like, oh, well, she's blonde and she's the lead, so she should be dumb. And it's like, that does not add anything to this character. She can be smart or just like average intelligence. I don't know why they had to dumb her down so aggressively. It's really unfortunate. And then finally, uh, Cleonice and Eduardo are Latinx caricatures. They say some Spanish stuff. She calls him Papi. It felt like a case of a show that really wanted to have racial diversity, which it did. It was a pretty diverse show for Broadway, but they didn't know how to do it. And so instead of just writing it was characters, diversity by it was diversity by white people. And honestly, they could have just written quote-unquote normal characters and cast Latinx people and it would have been fine they didn't have to like make them she calls herself spicy in the first like four minutes of the show it's rough and like if you are going to keep them as specifically written Latinx characters like give them some things that are funny that aren't so racist like what if they're in basketball practice and Wardo drop kicks a ball because he's used to playing football like that would be kind of fun so we'll we'll talk more about characters in context and their relationships to each other when we get into our deep dive but we'll talk about the music a little bit I don't know if you found this Max but the first time that I listened through the soundtrack I always thought that a song was over and then it had another chorus yeah. They just don't know how to end songs, and so they just don't. And so there's always, like, a round or, like, a split structure part at the end. Just end it. It's cool. So I think every song, almost every song, can lose a chorus and be effective. The libretto, as it currently stands, is just not effective enough to not have a good bit of plot done during the songs. There are too many kind of mood songs that don't do a lot for the plot. For example, Just Once is just Lysistrata talking about how they want to win but doesn't actually do anything to establish her character or Robin's character or their relationship to each other and all we had to establish their relationship they went from strangers to singing this song together was like a page and a half of Lysistrata just running into the library and like assaulting Robin with her life mission it doesn't make any sense I really do not like when there's just words or sounds that are written in just so that somebody can flex musically. It happens so much in this show, but I wrote very specifically that I hated it in Lay Low as a part where they just have random noises and that are just, they're just riffing because they can. And I'm like, what, you're doing nothing. Yeah, I agree. Songs should be used to serve the characters and serve the plot, not to serve the vocal prowess. That's not to say that riffs can't do that. It's just when it's employed in this show, they don't. They, it's just there to show off musicality of the actors. Oh, the script. Oh, the script. There's not much. <laughs> Every single scene feels like it's just a runway to the next song of the show. 90% of the songs, there's no more than two pages, more often one or less pages of text and actual dialogue between each song. And that this is not a sung through musical. And so little happens in the songs themselves that you can't treat it like a sung through musical. So it does not work at all. Agreed. We'll talk more about that in our deep dive. I think we're ready to, to get started with right now, the opening number. I think that it's a relatively effective intro song. It's that thing that we mentioned in the history section about the old comedy, the introduction of the characters and the basic plot, which I think is fun that they do it. it with Hatiragon, it works effectively as Lysistrata and Nick leading the two Greek chorus 
Fagers as a direct to audience. I like it. It's too long. It does that thing it's where the really song long. can end. But instead, they go stomp, stomp, clap, stomp, go, and then have a weird little shouting section where they already had a weird shouting section earlier. But the first one's funny, so let the first one go. And then just, I said, end the song at 7.01. I didn't even classify right now as the opening song because right now and party time right now are so incredibly close to each other there's less than a paragraph of text between them um so they're essentially one song if we're going to be honest in that way it is way too freaking long in its current state it is eight minutes and 59 seconds why would you ever have an opening number that long so just like Kayla said, this shit can get cut down a lot. And the easy fix to that would just be to cut party time right now, which is one option. Or if yeah. they do keep it, I was bummed that there wasn't any reference in the musical to the original play, how they also, so the women withhold sex from men. That's part of how they get them to stop the war. But they also storm and seize the Acropolis, which is where they kept, it was the bank, so that they couldn't get money to buy weapons and medicine and stuff so they literally had blue balls and no doctors and no guns not guns you know 410 bc whatever i thought that if they do keep party time we could add something later on where like they lose another game and they say oh it's party time and kind of the opening chords of the song start and lissy's like no it's not party time. We're not partying until you win the game. And he says, oh, what are you talking about? We've got a party fund for a party after every game for the year. We all contributed at the beginning of the season. And she says, oh, I took that. It's hidden where you'll never find it. And he says, how'd you get into my safe? And she says, your passcode was 1234, Mick. Wasn't hard to crack. Stuff, stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. I like that. I, really I like that. that. It gives party time a reason to exist. I'm not sure if it would actually be worth it in the end, if the payoff would be high enough. It might be, though. But the more places we can raise the stakes, the better, especially because the stakes yes. are very low oh, in comparison yeah, the to the Peloponnesian War. <laughs> you know nothing of the highs and lows of high school football. Okay. <laughs> then we have Just Once. An interesting note, this song was not in the tryout or in the off-Broadway version. It was added during the Broadway And run. to that we say, big Cut mistake. It. Huge. <laughs> goodbye yeah it doesn't do anything and the scene before is terrible it's so abrupt Lissa's daughter literally walks in and is like hi I'm Mr. Jones and I'm gonna make the basketball team winning and Robin's like oh my god I will do a slam poem about it I love the slam poems though they are one of my favorite parts of the show but I love the idea of Robin's working in the library whatever LJ comes up to the counter to check out her books and she's like motivational speaking for dummies basketball rules and regulations basketball plays basketball this and robin is like i didn't know you could major in basketball something like that i don't know it's kind of silliness and so it gives lissa a reason to explain what's going on to robin instead of just like jumping on this poor girl just trying to do her work study and then there's a weird paragraph leading into just once about lissy's parents divorce which is then never brought up again i don't see how that serves the plot i don't know how there's so little text and that gets a monologue it's so silly it, yeah i think it's trying to create some character for lj it's trying to create this world where she wants to run away from everything when things get too real but 
it it yeah. doesn't do it. <laughs> it tries to make that the reason she left her old school is they couldn't afford it anymore because of her parents' divorce. But that doesn't make any sense with the opening number where she says, my last school was like so not right. It would mean that she liked her school and she wanted to stay, but she couldn't because money. It just is stupid. So I said, cut the song and replace with either a song or honestly a scene with some underscoring might be more funny. Lysistrata and Robin kind of reading and discussing the play Lysistrata and maybe having characters from the male and female ensemble like dramatically acting out scenes from it on like between Grecian pillars and stuff. I think that could be <laughs> real funny and silly and they can really get down and dirty with the play. Also, she doesn't need to read the spark notes. She can read the play. She's got a brain now. Yeah, the spark notes. Yeah, it, it, it's... They just dumb her down for no reason. Okay, change the world. I'm going to talk more because... Be my guest. This is my show. It is. And I'm letting Max talk about it with me because I'm a kind dictator. Okay, so Robin is literally never introduced to Cleonice, Marine, and Lampedo. She is just there and they accept her as one of their leaders. They don't even say like, this is Robin. She's going to help us. They don't make any attempt. She's just there. So we need to fix that. And then I actually did do this in my production, which is it illegal? Maybe. But I gave the second verse to Robin. They can't hurt you now. <laughs> they can't. They cannot. I mean, I don't know. Is there a statute of limitations on like messing with musicals? <laughs> what would they do? <laughs> they Fine. lost no revenue. <laughs> you still you're, gave them the money. Queen. Yeah. And we sold out every show, whatever. <laughs> so I'd say give the second verse to Robin because she also comes in and is like hyping up. Not everyone's on board after Lysistrata's first verse. So have her kind of tag team and Robin to help her convince that she's not the only person with these crazy ideas. And it's also surprised too long. I said to cut from about 240 to 336. We can move on to no more giving it up. This is another excellent example of why are we using these Greek tragedy slash Greek drama illusions when this is a goddamn comedy. I think this song is funny. Oh, it can yeah. still be funny, but it is trying to pretend to be something out of a Greek tragedy, and that's not this world. Why Why would it be are you, this is world? That, are you specifically talking about Marine's verse, the, like, a cracked-up junkie, hear the mighty growl, growl, that whole bit? Yes. Yeah, because I, I agree that that part doesn't really work because the language doesn't really mesh with the rest of the song or the show. It's this absolutely random moment where they're like, ah, oh, you've pissed her off, so now she turns into Medusa. <laughs> yes. So I don't like that, but I like the rest of the song. The only thing I would change the bring your razors because it's getting lethal in here line because surprise people fighting with ra with uh, razors was racist propaganda used against black people to try to keep them from fighting in wars. Read about it. Kayla, the woke white strikes again. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. <laughs> oh my gosh. Lalo. It's honestly not a bad song in my opinion. It's fun. Once again, I just hate throwing in words and syllables and non-lexical vocables just so that you it's can It's just riff. too long and they do the rap which you don't need and the and the scoopalapaws. And again, like I think that this song as it's currently written accomplishes what it needs to in its first verse and chorus and then it just keeps going. And I don't want to cut it, but I do want to intercut it with something else to give it a little more depth is you may have noticed if you listen to my choice of books when Lestrada was checking out books at the library. I want the girls to learn basketball and effectively make themselves the collective coach of the boys team because there's never mention of a coach and like teams have coaches. And so I want them to be running drills on the guys. Well, 
how they sang the second verse through the end. I think that that would be cool. That also makes more sense for Lysistrata's random bit of logic at the end where she's like, oh, suddenly I'm an expert on the rules of football. <laughs> yeah. And also, I don't know anything about basketball. And so, I don't know. In basketball. My, in my... <gasps> you did say football. football. It's okay. We're, we're theater majors. So that would make more sense as to why she knows the Title IX logic later and yeah. make her an actually effective team member in that final game. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. I, I just, don't Yeah, think I just realized so. she she goes from being portrayed as absolutely stupid to being able to quote Title IX and <laughs> random obscure basketball rules. I don't think so. I love this song. <laughs> what was that, Max? I love this song. I think it's so fun. Yes, you do. <laughs> Victory is mine. Yeah. This is such a fun song. I love it. I don't like the scene before it. I picked it's like three songs from this show that I actually just listened to multiple times. This was one of them. Oh my God. I only know two of them. I'm excited to find out what the third one is. Okay. I love the song. I think that the scene before the language needs to be updated. There's a lot of calling Hatira a whore mm. and stuff like that, which is just say sex worker. It's not yep. hard. And the only whore mention that can stay is when Marine says, I can't believe Kinesius called me a whore, a bull name in front of yep. Hatira. Cause that's, that's good, funny. It's that a good joke. Say. But they throw it around a lot, and I'm like, let's be a little more sex positive here, friendos. Yeah, especially these college students. <laughs> I mean, for real, I, who I was in a theater program, sex. but yeah, they would definitely be far more sex positive than that. Yeah, Lysistrata is a feminist. Robin is a hyper feminist. If anything, one of them would try to like say, would say like prostitute, and Robin would say, actually, they're sex workers, and sex work is work, and would like go on a feminist rant. <laughs> oh my god, I love it. You go your way. Also, a fun song. It's one of my three. Okay, so this is number three. Got it. Yep, this is number three. It's my new end of act one song. It does everything it's supposed to do. It gives us all the tension that we need. It has lots of movement and lots of energy. And then that bell rings at the end of it. The end of game bell rings for the fact that the boys have lost. And that's an excellent time to raise the house lights and let people go pee. It just works. Yes, the buzzer, as they say. Buzzer! I directed this show not that long ago. When Max said, I'm making this the new end of one number, I was like, this isn't the end of act one number already? I had to like remind myself because it just feels very very natural and it does if something feels right it might be right the playwrights got it right with this one and then for some reason said i feel like another song would work yeah end it on an unresolved conflict that's also a banger boom yeah get it. you have all the right right parts now there. we go into intermission and we're like oh it's a bummer <laughs> Because it's after, where am I now? Where am I now? What do you think their inspiration was? First of all, I'm assuming that they didn't just write these songs randomly and then put them in. I'm assuming they knew that they were going to put it here because that's normally how you write. I think that the thought was, after you go your way... Did they think we need a wicked number? (laughs) Okay, so I understand how they arrived there. I think it was a mistake, but I understand. So after you go your way, all the girls just got dumped, which was not a part of the plan. And so they're all understandably upset but they misdirect their anger at Lissy and so now after going from the leader of this group to feeling really really 
isolated. And then she snaps at the one person who's been there for her, who we have literally not mentioned yet, which is Xander. That's hilarious. He's not come up. Uh- <laughs> if that doesn't tell you much about his character in the first act of this play, I don't know what doesn't. Oh my God. We didn't even talk about how differently we perceived him, but that's, we can, we can talk about that uh, yeah. for hold on. But yeah, she's just felt really abandoned by everyone who's on her side. I don't know why Robin would have abandoned her. That doesn't make any sense. Maybe Robin was just like in the bathroom. Look at this. <laughs> Look at this. It's a plot hole. This musical is Swiss cheese. And then the one person that's still aggressively on her side, Xander, she lashes out at. I understand her being in a really low place, but I also think that this could be resolved in the next act and leave that song until we have a little bit more. We can call act one after you go your way and then at the top of act two can be the girls fighting and then Lissy trying to bluff her way out and say, oh, I always knew this was a possibility, but we're going to get out of this and the girls kind of still going with her Mm. so that we have more time to build up because Max said that this should be an 11 o'clock number and I was like, it should be an 11 o'clock number. That's the way this song makes sense. It's a perfect 11 o'clock number. Like it has all the feeling of an 11 o'clock number. This song never made sense to me and I thought I just wanted to cut it and like give her a new song, but it just is an 11 o'clock number and it was in the wrong place. And the craziest thing about it is if you put it in the 11 o'clock number spot, you don't have to do anything, really. You just put it there. You really don't. You really don't have to do anything. But I'd love it if we learned a little bit more about who she was, at least in that second verse. Yeah, of course. I was simply saying that you didn't have to, but you should. You don't have to. Yeah. Yeah. What are all the things that you would actually like to add to this song so that we get more of her in this? I would love to know a little bit about what happened at her last school, especially since we cut that weird divorce monologue saying she left there because of money issues. I feel like this is a pattern for Lysistrata. I think she makes friends really easily and then she loses them. Mm. And that pattern of loss is something that I feel emanating from her, but I spend a lot of time with her. And people that only get this one exposure need it to be laid out for them a little bit more. And so I would love if she talks about how she always goes in too hard, too strong, maybe doesn't listen to the needs of others and ends up alone. I really enjoy that we can get more of her character because you get so much of what she is on the surface, but you don't really get any of what she is as a person. So act two, as it currently stands, starts with writing on the wall, which is literally the most useless song in the musical theater canon. Mm. Cut this song. It gives us literally nothing in the way of story progression. It is basic ass filler to be like, hey, audience, come back to us. It's like, oh, you peed. Now let's try to get you back in the mood for this show. It's so, so stupid. (laughs) It's just pandering and it's not cute. Bye. Hold on. (laughs) Do you think that we do need a song to bring the audience back or can we just start with the scene and move into Hold On? I was thinking about that. Theatrically, you should start with a song. I agree. With the traditional structure. But I'm just not sure that we need it. What if we recycled some of Just Once because we cut it from the first act? We could kind of have Lysistrata use Mm. maybe not that exact song, but something similar to like get the girls inspired again. Yeah, okay. You can tell this episode we're freeballing it a lot because since we don't have a guest, we, we yeah, were able we to like <laughs> really just work with each other and, and build things in the moment, which is the most fun way to, for us to do it and hopefully a fun way for you to listen to it. If it's not, let us know. Yeah. Email us. A new try on this one. Yeah. And then we move on to Hold On. I love this song. It's so cute. It was the only song that, that stuck out to me when I was listening to this. Oh yeah, it's just so fun. But why is Atira there? <laughs> Like, I like three-part harmony as much as the next girl, but at what cost? (laughs) 
like I said to you when we were watching uh, videos of your production, you can have a pit orchestra on this song. You don't like people can sing in the wings. I don't think for a show like this, you'd need pit singing. No, I think it's just it's not the right vibe. I don't know. Yeah. Additionally, you don't need Hatira in this. For it's a very second. voyeuristic. It's, it's super voyeuristic. This is a, a real special moment between the two of them. There's a reason that this isn't a whole chorus number as well. This is for them. And having her there is... <laughs> She's like, yeah, fuck, do it. Hype man, hype man, hype man, go. Okay. Don't judge a book by its cover. So this scene, it's funny, but like... Does it actually do anything? <laughs> I, I get that it's supposed to be Kinesius's discovery of himself. But do we even need that in the play at all? We already have Mick figuring himself out. Do we need two guys to grapple with their toxic masculinity in a two-hour span? We can completely get rid of Kinesius being a white man trying to be a black man. We don't need it. <laughs> yeah, not everyone needs a stupid story. Also, it gives me big Shakespeare vibes. Nothing like this happened in Lysistrata. It's very like, mm. up someone's gonna disguise themselves to trick their lover, which is a Shakespearean trope, which is kind of out very. of left field for this show. That's not where it lives. That's incredible discovery that I hadn't thought of at all. I was sitting there thinking to myself, I was like, this trope is as old as time. And I, and <laughs> now you're, now that you're bringing it up, I'm like, oh no, it really is a, sh a Shakespeare tool. Interesting. Oh God, we didn't talk about Xander and. <laughs> wow. We really, we really do not care about Xander, I guess. What is this saying about Xander? What is this saying about Xander's place in this show? I'll tell you what, I didn't realize that Xander was even a character at all when I was listening to the play. Oh yeah, I thought, as oh just my God, I album. thought it was just one dude. Yeah. I thought Mick was the, yeah. I agree. But the way that I justified it in my production, his like weird lack of presence in all of act one was Lysistrata's feelings for Xander kind of sneak up on her. And so they should kind of sneak up on us too. Is that not already how it is? Like in act one, Xander is here for like very, very tiny 10 he dances. Bits. He dances one time for no reason. It's called Xander Moves and it's this weird backing track and you just have to dance. He's barely in act one at all. Like he, he does his dance and he has very small bits and they introduce him as a character, but then suddenly he's a love interest in act two. And you're like, oh, they they just threw him at us. But Hold they On is such a good song us. that I buy it. I'm like, I would fall in love with a stranger with that song. <laughs> it's true. I love Hold On so much. And <sighs> Max and I read Xander so differently. Oh my God. When we were just, because neither of us watched <laughs> so the Broadway bootleg. I didn't watch it when I was preparing to direct because I wanted to have a fresh view and I just didn't look at any other materials. And then we didn't watch it for the show because we couldn't find it. So we were just going off the script and we read him so differently. I was like, he's obviously a total social justice warrior type. I read this and I saw Xander as a complete goth person. An eco-goth. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I, I see him as being goth. I see him as being extremely introverted because he exists completely on the internet in the beginning of this show. And then he slowly becomes somebody who does things for people who are actually there in front of him. I feel like that works really well in the world of 
somebody who would be completely gothic in my opinion yeah and for me it's very much going from like social justice warrior like battling online and thinking that that's real and then realizing that like nothing on the internet means anything and that being kind to the people around you and making and taking action in real the real world that makes a difference and so part of me loves that it's open-ended like that but part of me is like but does that just Mm. mean his character isn't developed that well Oh man, we've realized that there's something there with Sander that we didn't think about before. Straight up. Um, let's let's talk about the right now operetta. It's fun. Should it be separate songs? I think it's an awesome song. I think it's really effective when you stage it well. I think that it will be even more effective once we've cleaned up the plot a little bit because it'll just have less to do it's like you said Mm. it's trying to tie up five or six different plot points and so if we get it down to three or four i think the song will be better because you will just have a a little bit less going on but i think structurally it's an effective song i also just love the way it sounds i could sit and listen to that acapella section over and over and over again should we talk about the part where he calls the girls in this play Nazis? Um, he doesn't call them Nazi. He calls them, quote unquote, like the Germans in World War II. <laughs> and we're like, not. <laughs> and we're, you know, not because Mick does not know who the Allied powers were. I feel like that's not the most pressing issue with this show, which maybe says more about the show. <laughs> but it, it speaks to the way that this show is written, where these writers think that they can make comparisons to things that are what they believe to be appropriate because it's comedy. See, you know? I read it in such a different way and I'm the Jew, so I get to make the final call here. You're the, you're the German, <laughs> actually. You are like a German. You're a Swiss I'm German. Swiss, which is almost not better. And you know what? My grandparents are Holocaust survivors, so I get to have the last word on this one. I mean, does it need to be the Nazi one? Probably not. But I love that they compare what they're going through with something that is so dramatically bigger. For me, it felt like the playwrights poking fun at the fact that Lysistrata the play was about a war and Lysistrata Jones is about basketball (laughs) and they're supposed to have the same impact. And so that's how I read it. A little bit of poking fun at the show. I wonder if you read it correctly or... (laughs) I doubt it. (laughs) Or if you just read it better than than it actually is written. I obviously don't want to say the writers were completely idiots and did not think of that because they might have, but I don't I know. guess we'll never know. I, I just feel like there's not enough intelligence in the rest of the script to, to allow for that. But Some of the reviews I read definitely said, we know these writers are capable of good writing. We don't know how this happened. <laughs> so it may have been a moment of self-awareness or it may just be me reading the script too many times. Mm. Uh, what was this guy's name? Douglas something? Douglas Carter Bean with an E at the end. Yeah. He's much more renowned. Oh, yeah. Xanadu. Jesus. Sister Act. Holy cow. Yeah. What the hell? Yeah. Yeah. Wait, this man like actually knew how to write. Yeah. He wrote whole things. He's a screenwriter. Oh, well, that really has shaken my entire view of this show. Well, you're not shaking my view of this show. It's not good. (laughs) It's shaken my view of how did this show get this place okay but i do 100 percent believe that you are going to call me in six months and be like you go your way is stuck in my head and i can't get it out this show is full of earworms didn't i say that you go your way is one of the songs that i listened to yes it's one of my three (laughs) i know but no more giving it up will be stuck in your head and you'll be like all of them are bangers and you'll come around (laughs) Mm, interesting uh (laughs) okay male ingenue song when she smiles michelangelo which is his full name in the script what? I'm pretty sure. Did I make that up? Oh I my may have made God. that up. I don't know. 
I have no clue. I think it's Michel- <laughs> I think it's Michelangelo. Yeah. Incredible. I I just hate the character of Mick. He's so stereotypical and so surface level that it feels like there's nothing. And then this song tries to give him something, but it barely does. Like it doesn't do what it tries to do, which is, I guess, humanize Mick. Yeah, it's supposed to show this like sensitive man that he's been fighting against and like him finally revealing this side of himself. But the setup of the whole play before this makes this song not nearly as effective as it could be because it's a pretty song the lyrics are not good poet poetry which i think is really funny so like in my production i added some lines of robin being like that's not good and it's it made it so much better (laughs) because she is like this smart poet Mm -hmm. i mean her poems aren't good either but they're they're a different kind of not good they're slam poetry not good which is my favorite kind of not good (laughs) also I know, at least on the Broadway, this was supposed to be like a big surprise reveal at the end that like Harold and Tillis are fucking. I just let them be cute and gay. And so I like giving maybe the end part of the song to Tillis and Harold and like doing a split screen kind of vibe. Mick and Robin are in his dorm. Tillis and Harold are in their dorm watching Batman and Robin movies. And like when he smiles, because not another love that I have to fake is so much more poignant of like someone who's been denying their sexuality and like dating women when they are gay than like a guy who's like, I was dating a stupid girl and now this one is smart. It's like just kind of a dig at Lysistrata for no reason. That one line has always really bugged me. You're saying you were faking your love for Lysistrata because she's stupid and you wanted to be perceived as surface level. But like, what did she ever do to you? Fuck you. I just don't like Mick very much. And I think that I could like him more. And I like Robin so much that I want her to have a guy that even in the least bit deserves her. Yeah. (laughs) Are you ready to move move on? Finish this baby up? The hold on reprise. In its current state, it's a good number. I love the themes that it goes through. I love that it is a great segue to the end. However, it is where our 11 o'clock number would go. So I would then like to ask you, like, can we put Where Am I Now before Hold On Reprise and still have that or just cut one? Okay, it works to put it before. Okay, we have to move some stuff around. I'm doing this on the fly. Okay, so we we have Hold On, cut, don't judge a book, put When She Smiles after Hold On, then the operetta, then Where Am I Now, then Hold On Reprise. I know it's like two boy songs back to back, but they're very different songs. And I don't think that Where Am I Now after When She Smiles works. Because I think Where Am I Now into Hold On Reprise works beautifully. We would need to look at structurally, but I do think that we can make it work. Because she is at an emotional peak right after the Right Now operetta. Yeah. And Hold On Reprise has never been a true 11 o'clock number. It's too gentle, and then it immediately goes into this up-tempo basketball game. Yeah, that's the big problem with that one. So I don't think it's having two 11 o'clock numbers. I think it's having an 11 o'clock number for the first time in this show. I'm well aware that it's not having two 11 o'clock numbers. I just don't. I didn't study music theater in college, so I don't Me know either. structurally we don't how, know what the how well it doing. works. I was just like trying to decide if you put a number in between the 11 o'clock number and basically the end of the show, do you lose the momentum of the 11 o'clock number? That's what I was. No, really because wondering. Hold On Reprise into Give It Up is essentially one song. Again, they win the game and then Give It Up starts. Yeah. Okay. I don't think it ruins it. I, again, also didn't study musical theater. Yeah, I think we're ready for Give It Up. So, Give It Up. Oh, we have two different opinions. <laughs> Again. I think it's a really, really lame anthem. 
it's a curtain call number masquerading as an end of show number. I want to hire somebody or I want to do something to rewrite it because it's an anthem and an anthem is more for a curtain call than it is to end a show. I don't feel like it has its place here. This song is a banger. Mm. I may just have... Maybe again, as this, a curtain call. This might just be me being too emotionally attached to this show and just bringing in my feelings from my experience of directing it. But the amount of times that I cried during this number, just like happy cried, was it from the stress? Was it from being <laughs> glad it was over? Maybe. But mostly it was from pride from my cast who were, were truly, truly fabulous. College student theater kids work so hard and get nothing out of it. Like Arliss Estrada, who was unbelievable, was like pre-med, was not studying theater. Oh. And just let me do this show to her and like let me take her time and talk like this at her for months. I'm just grateful to her for that. So Serena, I love you. My whole cast, but you know, the rest of y'all are mostly theater hosts. <laughs> 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 okay yeah okay absolutely. back to okay, the show so give it up um, i think it's effective i think it's full of heart i agree i think it's light but i think it's a light show and it can wrap up lightly it definitely does feel like a curtain call number but i think for this show it works what would you like want vibe wise instead of this song <sighs> well i really hadn't thought about that i instantly come to the like the thought of something that really gets the audience involved like do you have like I a show love... that you could compare that might help me grasp what you're picturing. Because I feel like if it's staged properly, this song can. It can, like, I Maybe. would have actors, like, bring people from the audience on stage to dance and shit. I agree the audience should be involved. I don't see Yeah, I think, it, I think it's, you know what? Now that I think about it, I think we could just have a nice reprise. Yeah. What do you want a reprise of, though? You know. <laughs> the one song you like, you go your way. That doesn't make any sense, though. Why, why, why doesn't it? I'll go your way and you'll go mine. That actually is kind of cute. Instead of you go your way. Mm -hmm. Go each other. Okay, that's kind of cute. I think we can do you go your way as a reprise. You know, it will end act one. And then you can do it as a sort of, we've all like discovered who we are and how we fit into each other's lives. I think that, oh, I think that works. <laughs> I love that for you. I would not do it. I would keep giving it up. I feel like we've agreed on enough. And this is, I'm holding my, <laughs> I'm taking a stand. <laughs> That wraps up this show. I do have to say, I, I would like to say, I did actually gain an appreciation for this show after spending so much time with it. I did start this whole thing thinking, God, this is a piece of garbage. Max I do have an appreciation me, for this show. How could you do this to me? At least once. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I think once you spend enough time with this show, you, you can find the joy in it. You can find the funny parts, the good parts. You can clearly hack it up and hopefully make it a better show yeah i think i think it'd be great if one day we could if anyone <laughs> out there to let us fix it it works for concord or is homies with lewis flynn and douglas carter bean feel free to share don't this show episode. them this podcast no show it to them i'm proud i'm not ashamed of what we do here because it may seem like it's hypercritical of artists but i feel like artists know how to separate their work from their selves at least artists that work this much professionally because you just can't take anything personally in this profession mm -hmm. and at the end of the day i fucking am so glad that this show exists so yeah, I, I mean, I would love to be a part of this show now, honestly. If I was given the chance, I'd do it. I wouldn't You'd be such a cute Harold. Harold. <laughs> honestly, before when I was 
Like if somebody had asked me to audition for this play or there was an audition at a community theater or a professional theater or something and I read the script and I listened to the album once, I would have said no. But with the work we've done together and with, with the amount of time I've spent with it, I'd, I'd do the show now. It's so fun. It's such a fun show. And there are times we do this and I write my notes and I read your notes and I think to myself, God, are we like accidentally blacklisting ourselves <laughs> from Maybe. every single one of these artists? But you know, in order for them to blacklist us, they would have to know we exist. So that would be True. A, that would be yeah. a win. <laughs> our total our total fifty listeners that we have right now. <laughs> yep. So you know we would love to have more than that. Yes. So God. recommend us to a friend and help us grow if you want to keep seeing these episodes because we would love to keep making them. But we do spend money on every episode and make no money. We do. So yeah. it would really help to have a bigger audience, and we don't know how to do that. So help us. If you want to help help us not spend so much money, please take a look at our Patreon. There's content on there. You will get content. <laughs> Kayla's we got some awesome cocktails in there. Give you things. I have put my sets, my set models and sketches and stuff up on there. There are things there. <laughs> we have a special Discord channel just for our Patreons, and currently it is we empty do. and it's very sad. <laughs> Um, I would love yeah, to be able to engage with you guys on Discord. That'd be, so, be fun. so fun. But for free, you can follow us on Instagram at GetItRightPod. And you can email us if you'd like to just talk to us that way. Say hi. At EverGetItRightPod at gmail.com. We would really appreciate it if you'd leave us a review on your podcasting app. It helps other folks find us in addition to just telling your friends. At the request of some of our listeners, on the day that episodes come out, we're going to post on our Instagram what episode we're doing next so you can prep and listen to the show or read the script or do whatever you like to do before you listen. Thank you everyone so much for listening. We'll see you in two weeks. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> I did the choose too to make fun of you.